I was at the Carousels conference and they asked me to do a breakout session. And right now, I actually forget what the original topic was that they asked me to do. Um, but I knew it was going to be, you know, men there. So I made a, I did an audible call, if you will, and decided that I would do something different than what had been scheduled. And that seemed to have been, you know, God's plan unfolding. And that's what I did. And that's what you're going to hear um, this morning, because as I was in fact cornered, uh, which was great, they said, well, can you do this again? I said, well, I can give you this, you know, the same outline. Um, and I'm sure some of the same major points again and some of the same references. But I think what all of us know with every message, it's never the same message, right? It's never the same message because the Spirit of God is moving in certain ways. You get a certain sense um, to the people that you're speaking to because God is taking care of His people. So He may have you say things um, that you normally wouldn't say. And you know what I mean by have you say things. I don't mean in some kooky sense say things. But we do believe in the Holy Spirit, do we not? And we believe the Holy Spirit gives us insight and illumination. uh, And He brings scripture scriptures to mind, he brings thoughts to mind that are in our archives and they get pulled up and sometimes we look at our notes and uh, your pastor would definitely say this because I know him he would look down and say oh I can't say that today or maybe I shouldn't say that today or let me synthesize that thought I was going to go over here and cross reference I don't think I'll do that and and that just happens you know in the moment of preaching so in one sense um you know, I have great expectation of what the Lord will do even this morning. Uh, it's a joy to be here. You know, I've been um, in some ways ministering on and off um, to and with uh, Grace Bible Church for some years now. I was, my youngest son is with me, Justin, and I thought, okay, let's hang out. Why don't you come with me um, this morning? And he was asking about the church, and I sort of told him the beginnings of the church and what has happened. And he asked, well, how did it grow like that because he said he was in a conversation with other people they were asking how do you grow a church and I said well the first thing you have to ask when someone is asking that what do you mean by growing the church and then why do you want to quote grow the church Um, and I said well here are the things that happen you know um uh, Steve was a faithful man that preached the Word of God and loved people and trained people. And I know he prayed a lot and he got other men with him and families who love the Lord and they begin to tell others about it. Uh, but at the same time, they used some wisdom and they let everyone know that they were in Bakersfield. Uh, and I talked about Grant Oweiler and, and helping them with Google Words and Google searches and, and presence. And, and I remember at one point in time, the people had, who were at Grace Bible had a, a many good percentage it found you through the internet just looking and we talked about those things but you go back to biblical principles and especially once you start to get men involved in a church because then men see other men do you agree with that and you get inspired uh, by that and I like this first watch this is good I mean coffee mugs and hats and and even the 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 coffee cup holder you have first watch on it and i've already put in my order for customized hat um from first watch so that's uh that's already in place but i love that hymn 
And it's so right. I'm glad you stopped us in that one line and, and think about it. And I even, I just, I mean, I've sung it before, but I just thought about it, you know, and I took a picture of it, and I just thought that one line again, like it says, death is coming, hell is moving, can you bear to let them go down? And it's question mark. And you might even put question mark, exclamation point. Then it says, see our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. That is, look around you, see what's happening. Don't put your head in the sand. Be a man. Realize what's happening in society. Realize what's happening in the church. Realize what's happening in your own life, in your own family. And I I just love that they're sinking down. He says, brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. So what is it calling men to do? Be men. Look around you. Realize what's happening in society. And sometimes men, what they do, and I don't think, in my estimation, I'm not sure if they really are true men. They look around and they say, look at the world, it's evil. Look at that Gavin Newsom, wicked and worthless man. Look at that Joe Biden. How could he possibly be president? And let's not even talk about Kamala Harris. Oh, my word. So, but do you also pray? Does your heart also go out? Do you also beg the Lord? Do you also behave as a man? Do you also plead for people who are sinking down? Our mothers and our fathers and our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews? Are you also pleading with the Lord as well? And then I would say, are you also living for the Lord? But if you would live for the Lord, then that would be a countermeasure to the madness that's around us. No, do I believe that we're actually going to absolutely turn the tide and then uh, this situation is going to be totally reversed? I'm not of that opinion. I mean, I would love for it to happen, right? No one's going to say, oh, well, we don't want that to happen. We want it to happen. But I'm probably just not convinced that that's going to occur. But I I do believe this, that within God's remnant, he's saying that you can be faithful and you can be that light on a hill. And as you are this light, as we came across the grapevine, and as we begin our descent into this area, you are this light in this area. And the fact that you think about, some of you know the humble beginnings of this church, uh, that those people were light, and they were a light, and they were a light. Men are attracted to true light. Because the Spirit of God gives them the grace to, to see that light. Whereas many of us, before the Lord Jesus Christ, we were going our own way. As a matter of fact, all of us before Christ were going our own way. Some of us we were just more demonstrative. And then he, he, by his grace, saves us. Amen? Amen. So what do I want to do this morning? I want to give you, uh, as I did before, um, we're going to work through 12 questions that men should ask. This is a biblical 12-step program. Amen? (laughs) A biblical 12-step program. 12 questions that I believe men should ask when it comes to their spiritual life. And I'm believing that if we ask them and then we respond to them properly, we can hold back the tide. We can be that light. 
We can be that influencer. And then other men will be attracted to us and other people will be attracted to us. And we can stabilize even the church itself. So we're going to walk through these 12 questions. And I want to let you know that with each question, I want to give you one word that sort of summarizes it. A word that you need to, in one sense, take home with you with each of these questions, okay? And of course, text that will um, ground the questions themselves and also the response to the questions. So here's question number one. What should I want most from my relationship with God? So if I think about myself as a man, what should I want most from my relationship to God? And here is your one word. Here is your word, intimacy. Intimacy. I should want intimacy for my relationship with God. Um, look with me at Philippians 3, chapter 10. Philippians 3:10. And what does it tell us there in Philippians 3 and 10? Paul makes a statement and it is clear. He communicates in Philippians 3:10 that that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And when we come to this point of a verse that really should create a sense of humility in us, in, in why? Because we have the privilege of knowing God. And it should make us zealous because Paul is saying that I might know him. And we know Paul knew the Lord. But what is he saying? There is more that I must know of the living God. And probably at some point in time, maybe when I've preached here before, you've heard me say this. And even if I come and preach again, you may hear me say it again. Here is this great sense that we have. The great privilege we have is to know the living God. And we realize that the more we know, in one sense, we realize there's so much more to be known. As a matter of fact, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we realize just how ignorant we are. I'll give you one real plain example of it. I'm doing a series in my fellowship group at Isaiah 40 to 48, lofty thoughts about God. I love the book of Isaiah. And then when I dove in again to really study it, to exposit it, I thought, I, God, I didn't know that. I didn't see that connection before. And then even recently, here I am in Isaiah 43, and God is making this declaration to the people of God that he is indeed going to come for them again. He is going to redeem them them. He is going to bring them out of exile from uh, Babylonian captivity. And he makes a statement in verse 4 that in my Christian life, I don't know how I've missed it. I don't know how I've missed it. Because he says in Isaiah 43, 4, he says, uh, you are precious in my sight and you are honored. And then he says, and I love you. And I love you. And then I'm I'm teaching verses 1 to 7. And then as I begin to look at the language, the language is set up in this chiasm, this this thoughts where the points are coming to the point of the arrow and a parallel thought and a parallel thought and a parallel thought. And here's the center thought. And there it was right there in verse 4 of Isaiah 43, right in the center of it was, and I love you. Never saw it before. And I just had to meditate on that. Here is Yahweh saying, I love you. And the titles for these messages have been, uh, Do Not Fear, Yahweh Loves You. 
Now, we hear a great deal about love today, do we not? And sometimes it's confusing, often it's confusing. Let's not even bother in how the world defines love. We know that it's skewed, uh, that it's based on misinformation, it's based on selfishness, often. Not that an unbeliever can't display some level of love, but when you think about this for a moment, that God is making a declaration, He is saying, the great, all-sufficient creator of all things, I love you. Wow. Meditate on that for the rest of your life. (laughs) The rest of your life. I love you. So then I begin to think, okay, where are the declarations with such a plain statement is made? And you, there are few occasions, few really occasions, where you just see the statement where he says, I love you. You'll see, and I, you know, I have loved you. Um, you'll see statements like that. Uh, especially in John's gospel, you see more of it. But just the statement, like say for instance, uh, Jeremiah 31. Well, I have loved you with an everlasting love. But just this statement where he says, and I I love you. What's my point? Paul says that I might know him. And there's so much so much to be known. Intimacy um, with the Lord. That we want to spend time with him. That we want to reflect on him. That we want to hear his word. That we want to meditate on him. And Paul is telling us right here in this text, of course, in verse 8, what does he say? In verse 8 he says, more than that, everything I count as loss, uh, that I may gain Christ, he says. Because I look at my former life and I realize that all my striving was absolutely worthless. I put it all aside. I consider it nothing that I may gain Christ. And then he says in verse 9, that I may be found in him. How am I going to be found in him? Because it's going to be based on his righteousness, not my own. And then he says in verse 10, that I might know him. What's important about the word know? So he uses this sense of gnosko, a, a knowledge that comes through experience even. So Paul is saying, yes, I have a knowledge of him, but I want a greater knowledge of him. But of course, as you probably have heard before, even studied on your own, what does he say in verse 10? And the fellowship of his sufferings. So brothers, if you want intimacy with God, expect pain. Expect hurt, expect challenges, expect suffering. I look back on my life and look at moments in my life where there's been heartache and pain. Those are great moments of growth. I wouldn't be the man that I am today without pain, without some question marks, without moments where my faith is indeed tested. So we should want what God wants. What do I mean by that? Look at Christ, though. Look at the example of Christ in Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, it tells us there that Christ learned obedience from the things in which he suffered. Paul wanted to obey Christ. He wanted more of Christ. And of course, his role model is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, listen to these verses about Christ and his obedience. If we want intimacy, we, we will be men who will obey the living God. Listen to them. And I'm going to go rapid fire in the Gospel of John, really. John 5.17, my father is working, I myself am working. 5.19, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. 5.43, I've come in my father's name. In 8.29, he says, and he 
He who sent me is with me. He does not. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And what a life verse! I mean, eight twenty nine is a life verse in this sense. Always doing the things that are pleasing for Him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually make that statement? How many of you brothers would love to make that statement? That is, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then he says in 10, 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. 18, this commandment I received from my father. 12, 27, he says, father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came. He says in 1431, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. And then in 1811, he says, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Why did he do it? Because he had such intimacy with his Father. He loved the Father. Now look with me at Luke 9.51. Luke 9.51, what is communicated there? Beautiful text. And, and what does it tell us in Luke 9.51? It says in the NASB, Jesus, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Determined to go. Uh, the New King James Version says he steadfastly set his face to go. Some of you may be reading the ESV. And it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Even interesting enough, in the NIV says, Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. And this word to um, be determined or to be steadfast, um, it's used in Luke 16, 26, where it talks about there is a, a, a chasm that is fixed between Abraham's bosom and those who are in torment. That is, it's immovable. And with Jesus Christ, it was immovable. He was going to go to the cross um, and satisfy his Father's will. So the question for us, like Jesus Christ, let's make an application to our lives. How resolute are we in obeying the living God? He said he set his face. He was resolute. He was fixed. Here's the second question we should ask. Question number two. Do I find myself satisfied in the things of this life more than the spiritual blessings found in Ephesians 1? And you can word it however you want. That is, um, where am I gaining my satisfaction? Am I more satisfied in things that are temporal or eternal? Here's your key word, though. Here's your key word. The word is worldliness. Worldliness. Now think about these blessings that we see in Ephesians chapter 1. What are the blessings? Well, we have security because repeatedly it says that we're in Christ and we're in Christ and we're in Christ. We've been elected by God. We have been um, recipients of his eternal favor. We have extreme forgiveness. He has lavished this upon us, it says. We have an inheritance. Uh, We have an inheritance, which means that now our salvation is in fact ours. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have a hope, the hope of heaven that awaits us. We have a pledge. The Holy Spirit is pledged for us. Our salvation is secure. We have power for this life to live the Christian life. So that has to control our mindset. And we say to ourselves, if this is true of me and my future, I need to live accordingly. 
then the question comes up, then what is worldliness? Because that's our key word here, worldliness. And sometimes we think about worldliness and we simply think about um, someone that's living a lifestyle uh, that is questionable morally. Um, worldliness in the sense in how they spend their money uh, in sexual promiscuity and going to places that are seedy places. Now, of course, that is worldliness. Um, but sometimes you need to understand and this people can be worldly and be churchgoers because worldliness is a temporal mindset and not an eternal one that is you can be sitting here right now and be a worldly individual because you think too much temporally and not eternally people who think eternally are those that are fighting against the temptations of the world A person who is a worldly person is involved in self-gratification and not servanthood. You heard it even read earlier from 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the things of the world. The world is pulling on us every day, is it not? All the time the world is pulling on us. And it pulls on us in different directions. And and how it pulls on you uh, may be different than the brother that is next to you. But nonetheless, we all agree that it's pulling on us. And it doesn't want us to look straight ahead, as the scripture says. It wants us to look to our left or to our right. As opposed to having our eyes fixed on Christ. And the world surely pulls on us when it comes to what it means to be a man. And the world surely pulls on us when it, when it comes to what, is it, what does it mean to really be successful. And the world pulls on us when it comes to sexual temptations, does it not? You say, well, sexual temptations, those are limited to guys that are in their 20s and 30s. Well... Is that a foolish statement or what? Do you agree with that? <laughs> uh, that just, that's just for guys that are you know, unmarried. It's for single men. We married men don't have that problem. And I'm happily married, and I definitely don't have that problem. Oh, but I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I mean, I would love to get some advice from you. Because uh, happily married, I'm married, um, Next year is 30 years, but guess what? I still feel a pull. A pull. Now, I've learned how to say no to the pull. I've learned how at times to completely ignore it, but nonetheless, the pull is still there. You can, I was looking at a new, a legitimate news story just the other day and reading this story about what had happened in Raleigh, North Carolina. Did you hear this about this 15 year old? I think the last count is nine people dead. And I'm reading the story, and I get to the end of the story, and I'm thinking, oh my! I mean, they had blurred out some of the pictures, but it's about some raunchy act about a person in some bar uh, where they're doing things they shouldn't do right in the bar. And I'm thinking, oh my, I can't believe this, so I just have to get out of the, the, the news bite. I'm looking through a legitimate story thinking, how do I pray for these people in Raleigh, North Carolina? And at the end of the story, I see something, though it's blurred out. I know it's exactly what's happening here. That's a pull. Now, did I want to look at it? No, I thought it's raunchy, uh, despicable, but it's a pull. And why is it a pull? Because the mind operates a certain way. Now I have an image, despite the fact that it's blurred out, that I've got to push back into my archives. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do any of you ever face things like that? I mean, the mind is a fascinating thing. 
in a snapshot, just like that. Now what I've got to learn to do is let me push that further and further and further and further back in my mind. Here's our third question. Question number three. What price am I willing to pay for the blessing? Now, we said there was a blessing. Now, ultimately, let me make this statement. Uh, The blessing comes because of the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. That's why we do have security. That's why we do have an inheritance. That's why we do have hope. Uh, That's why we do have the sense of security in Christ because of what he has done. So let's make sure we understand that. Nonetheless, we're still growing by way of progressive sanctification. What price am I willing to pay to grow like Paul wanted to grow? To appreciate these blessings all the more. Here is our key word, and it's an obvious one, sacrifice. Sacrifice. And here are the words that go with sacrifice. Brothers, what amount of time are you willing to give up? If you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you want to grow in intimacy, it requires time. And time is ticking away, is it not? And we are not the men we used to be. Do we all agree in that? And some of us look in the mirror now and you say, wow. Man, I guess I don't need that um, comb anymore, huh? (laughs) And some of us look in the mirror and thought, wow, this used to be all black. Isn't that something? How how time has changed, right? I was talking with, I went around and talking to the brothers. I saw my brother here with the Yosemite um, t-shirt on. I said, yeah, next year I turn 60. I've already talked to my three sons. I said, what we should do is take a week. I want to go on a 60-mile hike for 60 years. And I thought maybe instead, if we can't find a trail, what we'll do is just go to a national park, get us a place, and just every day go explore. At least get in, you know, close to 60 miles some way, somehow. And I thought about that. I thought, hmm, 60 miles. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> but right now, between now and my birthday next year, I've got to do some work. Now, not 60 miles a day. We do understand that. So still I'm thinking about clocking nine miles a day every day. Huh. And through terrain. Oh, maybe just, you know, maybe we'll modify the plan. <laughs> and you know why? I've changed. I'm not the man I used to be. 60. Time is ticking away. So that means I'm past halftime. And I'm trying to finish well. I look around, see some young faces. I mean, you're barely in the first quarter. Barely in the first quarter. Some of you, you know, your second quarter. Some of you look around, you're at halftime. You're getting that debrief. This is what we need to do to go back out there again. And and in one sense, let this be sort of that that coach is telling you at halftime, hey, here are some changes you can make. When you come here for um, the watch, if you will, let this be a moment to say, brothers, we're still in this. We're still in the game. This is what you need to do if you want intimacy. This is what you need to do if you want to avoid worldliness. This is what you need to do if you're going to sacrifice for the Lord. One thing you must do is give your time. Time to the people around you. Time to the things of God. Time to church. 
even driving up here, I said to my son, I was listening to First John, and he asked why. I said, well, partly because I need to make sure I've, this is what I'm doing just for this week, every day, First John, go through it all. And I said, part of it was me talking to my daughter recently. Uh, my youngest, and saying, okay, it's good how you start your morning. Start it with the Word of God. Start it with prayer. And uh, we made a deal. I said, okay, for the next week, I'll do it with you. Let's just go through First John every day. Time. And then I looked at it. I said, it's only 17 minutes. Uh, the way you listen to it, I have it at speed about 1.25 on the app that I have. It's literally 16 minutes, 53 seconds time. And I said, you have to fight uh, in the morning because you can pick up this smartphone, which is making us dumb. And you start to look at your apps and you start to look at your messages and you start to look if anybody liked what you put out in social media. And you look at your schedule. And then what has happened to time? Someone tell me what happens to time? It's gone. Oh, my goodness. 30 minutes. Oh, my goodness. 40 minutes is gone. Uh, an hour? And what do I have to show for it? Nothing. 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 Time. You may have to sacrifice your goals in life. God, this is what I wanted to do. But your will be done. You may have to sacrifice some desires that you had. And I'm not saying that those desires were always evil or wrong. But nonetheless, they weren't God's. You're going to have to sacrifice preferences and say, let me prefer that person. You may have to sacrifice some comforts in life. That's not as comfortable, but I'll do it for the Lord. Here's your fourth question. And a final thought for you on that third question is this. Note Psalm 116 verse 12. And what did the psalmist say? He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his blessings to me? What sacrifice can I give him when I think about everything that he's given me? Nothing will match it. But nonetheless, I should be asking myself the question, what sacrifice can I, can I make? Here's our fourth question. Number four, how would my family, co-workers, and God describe my relationship to God? Here's your key word, consistency. Now, what do I mean by that? And it's a plain question. So if you were to right now survey and say, okay, I want to find out what people think about my relationship to God. So go to your family and say, be objective. If you were just to describe my relationship to the living God, the one that I say is my savior, the one that I say is sovereign, the one that I say is controlling all things, the one that I say I should worship, the one that we go on Sundays and we sit and we hear the word of God, please give me an objective opinion about your, what you see in me and God. Be honest with me. And if you could do the same thing, if if you work in an environment where people know that you're a Christian, hey, you know that I'm a Christian. You observe my work, how I behave. What would you say about me and God? And of course you need to have that conversation with God. God, where am I with you? Then you come to Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, and then now these qualifications for an elder, you have to ask yourself, how am I living them out? 
It's the principle in 1 Peter, because in part, 1 Peter is saying um, to those that are being persecuted, live in such a way, ultimately, he says, live in such a way that your example will put to shame even those who persecute you. So that's the question. Consistency. Why is consistency necessary? Consistency is just necessary for the Christian life, is it not? Because sometimes we come to meetings like this or things like this and we can be inspired for a moment and then it can fade out. Consistency is the key. Someone has, has asked me about parenting. Uh, what's the key word in, in parenting? I remember once uh, we were out. It was a family gathering. And one of my kids, they weren't being, it was when they were smaller. You know, they just weren't being the best kid, we'll say. And I got up from the table. I went away. Uh, back room. We came back. Everything was settled. And my brother-in-law leaned over to me because he had seen me for years. He said, man, you're just so consistent. So that's the key. It's hard work. And there have been times, you know, with my kids, we're going to, once we're going to Kings Canyon. I love Kings Canyon. So beautiful there. We're going to Kings Canyon. We're in the van. They're in the third row. And I said, hey, knock it out. Knock it out. And I said to them, you know I will stop this car. Pulled over. um, Unbuckled. Went to the back seat. Took care of business, got back in the car, made it to Kings Canyon. Consistency. Same thing is true in our Christian life, consistency. Because sometimes we come in a flash, and then it dies out. Here's our... Why is this important? No, let me tell you why it's important. Consistency. Because here's consistency. Number one, let's look at it in three levels. Number one is this. If you have consistency, then that will lead to patterns. That will lead to patterns, okay? Then if you have a pattern, then you're going to have habits. Then if you have a habit, then you have a lifestyle. Because what we want is a lifestyle, do we not? A lifestyle of striving for intimacy, avoiding worldliness, making sacrifices, being consistent. So we want to see patterns, habits, lifestyle. And that's what we strive for. And the only way you can get there is through consistency. Just like there's certain things. You know, I played college football. And there's certain things I must have done a thousand times. I mean, a thousand times. Even to this point. I mean, the last time I was obviously in organized football on that level was some moons ago when I was in college. But right now, if you were to say to me, if you were to say, hey, can you get down in a stance and do a 60B? That was a stunt we used to have. I used to love that stunt where I would, I would go between, you know, the one and the three gap. And that was my call as a linebacker. I could do it right now. I just did it so many times. I can do it in my sleep. And if you say, okay, uh, can you cover this guy on the edge? And you're covering him, and here's your back to it. And what are you looking for? I'm looking in his eyes. I don't have to turn back. I know I did it so many times, I would look into his eyes. Like I'm looking at Steve right now, and when that football starts to come, will his eyes remain the same? No, they won't. What's going to happen to his eyes? They get bigger. And when I see his eyes get bigger, I know at least I can do this. I did it. I can't tell you how many times I did this move. It's a pattern of life. Be consistent. Time with God. How many hours in, in a day? Let me spend time with Him. 
be consistent in my prayers. Be consistent in striving. Does that make sense? Here's our fifth question. You say, wait a minute, didn't you say you have 12? I do. And I have, I think, 13 minutes left. So, here we go. Amen. (laughs) So, hold on to your seats. Number five. What are five ways you can die to self in your relationship with your wife, church, and children? Now, let me give you two words for this. Preference and deference. Now, five ways. I'm not going to give you five ways. That's for you to determine. But ask yourself a question. Okay, with my wife, how can I die to self? Now, if you think that you are done dying, you're a fool. We die for the rest of our lives. Amen? This is what Paul says. This this life that I now live. I'm, I'm striving to die to self. And even if you say, I have a good marriage right now, well, make it a better marriage right now. I have a good relationship with my kids. Make it a better relationship with your kids. I serve the church well. Serve it better. Ask, what can I do to be better? We should always be striving to be better, should we not? Any man that is incontent is not behaving properly because you're not being a steward of the natural talents and the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You should be saying, I want to be better. Now, your pastor, and I appreciate over the years, even as I was telling my son, this is what he did. He poured his life into these people. They were two weeks, or was it a week away from shutting the doors. Uh, He taught theology, and the women wanted to hear theology, and he taught them theology as well. And, And the Spirit of God so moved, and this is what you have today. Now, Uh, I already know the answer to it, but if I were to ask him right now, this moment, I'll ask him right now. Steve Swartz, Dr. Pastor Steve Swartz, do you want to be a better pastor? Amen. Do you want to be a better preacher? Do you want to be a better shepherd? And the list goes on. And if you were to turn to the man to your right and to your left and say, Brother, do you want to be better in these areas? Every man should be able to say, Absolutely, I do. As a matter of fact, all of us should have a certain sense of a holy dissatisfaction. That is, I'm dissatisfied in my present state in life. And this is a key text that we began with, that I might know him. I mean, I've been teaching at the seminary for some years. I still study, obviously. I have studied. Dissatisfied, though. Even that recent Isaiah 43, 4. How did I not see it? Dissatisfied. Growing in holiness? Dissatisfied. How I think about others? Preferring them, preferring them, deferring? Dissatisfied. Because the objective is Jesus Christ, is it not? So, here's our sixth question. Question number six. What principles can make for a better home? What principles can make for a better home? Let me give you a word. And your word is this. Tone. Just one word. Tone. Uh, And I think it should be an emotional tone. That you avoid exasperating. This is Ephesians 6.4. This is Colossians 3.21. So you need to have a tone in your home. What's the tone of your home? 
So I say to men, and I say to you, don't be a hothead. Are you a hothead? That is, uh, you have a short fuse. The scripture tells us that we should be patient with one another. That is, we should show macrothumia. We should be long-suffering with one another. Uh, People who exasperate are people that are like this. They are hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't put on your Christian um, first watch, you know, attitude. But yet at home, that's not your same tone. People will see that. Don't be an enabler in your home. That is, what is an enabler? Uh, They don't have those clearly defined parameters in their home. And they allow too much um, violation of God's principle in their home. And it's all done in the name of love. You're just being an enabler. And it's going to come back to hurt you. But also, don't be a controller. You, You want to control everything in your home. And that exasperates people in your home can exasperate your wife, your children. And obviously there are stages where we, we say just no to them. And I've been through all of those stages because now, you know, our kids go from 27 to 19. So we've been through the stages of the absolute no. And now we're in those conversational stages, obviously. And some were not in that stage at all because three of them are away and they are, have their own homes now. But I still have influence because, thankfully, while they were with me, I didn't run them away. And don't be like the wind. You say, what do you mean, don't be like the wind, Hargrove? What are you saying? Um, Well, you make promises, but you never keep them. You're like the wind. You you just blow around. Oh, sad story. Man, I was talking to a brother when I was in Jackson, Mississippi, this last weekend. Godly man that is doing a great work for the Lord. And he said, yeah, he just didn't have his dad growing up. And he says, his dad would call him and say, hey, I'm going to be there for the ball game. And as a little boy, he said he would go to the window and look for his dad. And he never came. Now, by God's grace, God was indeed his father. Amen. And he's grown him in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And he's a fine minister. And I think he'll be a finer minister as he grows. You're going to make promises to your family, then keep them. Um, Have a certain tone in your home. Um, There's a biblical tone we have to have, and sometimes that tone is one of absolute commitment. I'm committed to these principles. Some of you remember some of the images some years ago when ISIS, radical Islam, was terrorizing the area in the Middle East. And of course, this wasn't just, you know, a jihad against, quote, the West. It was for anyone that was an infidel in their minds. And it was one eerie um, picture where a Jordanian soldier had been captured by ISIS and he was placed in a cage and he was burned alive. And uh, King Abdullah... The king of Jordan, who's a former soldier, uh, when he learned of it and he saw it and he made a statement and he says uh, that they would pursue them. They would pursue ISIS. And and this was his quote until he ran out of gun and guns and bullets resolved. That was a tone. That was a tone that says this cannot be tolerated. Here are our convictions. You don't hurt my family. 
And that's essentially what he was saying, particularly as a former soldier, that you would take one of my, my sons, if you will, and like an animal, have him in a cage, and then like trash, that you would burn him. And he set a tone. And ISIS paid heavily for it. What tone do you have, brothers? Ask yourself that question. Here is question number seven. What behaviors most under, undermine a man's honor? What behaviors most undermine a man's honor? And here's just the word, honor. Honor. A biblical look at honor. Exodus 14, let me give them to you rapidly. God says, I will be honored through Pharaoh. Exodus and Deuteronomy, the scripture says, honor your parents. First Kings 3, God says to Solomon, I will honor you with riches and you will be honored. Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. What does it mean to, to show honor, respect, laud, uh, giving a due, if you will? Uh, and some of you are familiar with the Cong- Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, the highest award that can be given a soldier. And what's interesting is that um, Alonzo Cushing, he actually um, was a soldier, Civil War, Battle of Gettysburg, uh, when he stormed Cemetery Ridge against Pickett's Charge. The action that he showed was absolutely heroic. But of course, that's the Civil War. But what happened is, 150 years later, in 2013, uh, he was given, obviously, posthumously, the Congressional Medal of Honor. We recognize you for what you've done. You behaved in such a way that was honorable. You put your life on the line. And for us, the question is, will we be honorable men? Here's question number eight. Question number eight. Does the Bible promote accountability? Does the Bible promote accountability? Here's your key word, brotherhood. What's the answer to that question? Absolutely it does. Psalm 133 and 1. Psalm 27 and 17. Um, So now if we have brotherhood and real accountability, there should be confession and exhortation and rebuke and encouragement. That's all a part of accountability. But I've always said this, and I say it again, this is something that is so important. And listen to this. People can have accountability, but accountability is only effective as much as you're willing to be honest. There have been people that I've counseled. They were accountable to me as a pastor or as their counselor, but they lied to me. There have been men I've asked, hey, have you looked at that again? Oh, no, pastor, I I haven't. Did you go there again? No, I, I didn't. Have you still been talking to her? Oh, no, we cut that off a long time ago. So there's accountability, but that's really not accountability because there's dishonesty. So we have to, and here's the thing that happens sometimes, we as men, we as men, uh, well, let me just ask this question. Do you think sometimes men struggle with pride more than women? No, not, I mean, there are definitely prideful women, obviously. But you, do you think maybe we have a propensity towards it a bit more? My observation is yes. And then, do you think that sometimes men are less willing... Do you think that sometimes men are less willing to talk about their weaknesses and their struggles? Absolutely. 
So I would say if you're going to have a first, first watch and discipleship and have heard about this mentorship program that's unfolding, you have to have real accountability, which requires honesty. Here's question number nine. We are going to get there. Um, two more minutes. Is that all right? Two minutes. <laughs> number nine. How can I leave a legacy? How can I leave a legacy? Here's your key word, Vision. Vision. So what is vision? We hear that word often, you know, tossed about, in particular with people that don't hold a doctrinal conviction. But don't be frightened by the word. Um, A vision is just this desire that you want to do something for the glory of God. You want to behave in such a way. Maybe it's a particular way that you want to behave or a particular ministry that you would like to develop. Then in one sense, uh, first watch comes from somebody saying, no, here's a thought. Here's an idea. And this is what we're going to do to do and this is how we'll develop it and here is our logo and we're going to have these other things that men have right that's what we're going to do and of course even on your logo what is not on your logo someone tell me what are some things that you decided not to put on your logo just a little fun moment here what are some things that are not on your logo Probably no daffodils are in your logo. I mean, daffodils are fine, but no daff. Come to first watch. No, that's not in your logo, right? What's what's in the center of that logo? The Word of God. And I think I caught that the basis of it is First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Is that true? That's in part vision. This is what we can do, brothers. This is what we can do together. This is how we can make this. You should have a vision for your growth. How do you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Do you have a vision for your family? This is how maybe I can help them. This is the time that I can spend. Maybe I should take an inventory of your life and say, okay, I'm in halftime. What am I going to do when I get back on the field? I'm in the third quarter. I'm in the fourth quarter of life. How am I going to finish well? And it is all about the finish. That's one thing I remember my aunt telling me when um, I told her I was called to the ministry. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It's before I even came out here to California. She said to me, Carl, many pastors start out well, but they don't finish well. It was like it was yesterday. I I can tell you right where I was, sitting there right there in her living room, 20-some years old. They don't finish well. How are you going to finish, brother? Some of you young men that are here right now, you're barely in the first quarter of life. I would say to you that what you should do is make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, even at this early stage in your life, and say, I will strive for God. I will be different. I'm not going to wait until I'm 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 and say, you know what? I wish that I'd live my life differently. No, start living it for the Lord this very moment. And maybe if you can, put your head down and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe in 10 years or 20 years and 30 years, somebody can look at you and say, man, what did you do? Well, I heard some messages when I was just a little lad and it attached to my heart. That's what you should do. That's what you should do. I mean, these young people, what are we doing? We're waiting, you know, you don't need to wait until you're 20 and 30 and 40 to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish some of the years that I could retrieve again. And my son can tell you this because it is true. I said to him, I wish I knew the things that I knew that you knew at 15. I didn't know the Lord until I was in college. 
And the church that I attended beforehand, it was, it was th- that, thick when it, that thick when it came to doctrinal clarity. I never heard some of the messages that he heard when I was 15. So you have a privilege, but not only a privilege, but I also tell you this, young guys, you have a responsibility because you've heard it. Amen. Now you have to do something with it. Maybe we need some of these little, you know, Josiahs in the world, do we not? We need some Josiahs who can serve the Lord at an early age and not look back. That's what we need. Then that means you brothers now, I, I said a word to them, now let me say some other words to you. This is where you have to get your life together and so live in such a way that you inspire these young men to be older men in the Lord. Amen. So if they look at you and they, they don't see that you're totally given out to the Lord, you're not striving for intimacy, you're not battling worldliness, you're not making the sacrifices necessary, you don't have the right tone in your home and in the church, then how dare you then say something to them? And for you brothers who are in that fourth quarter of life, live your life with that sense of vision. I'm going to finish well. And maybe I made some mistakes earlier in my life. Okay, the Lord has forgiven me. But what I am going to do is pass on what I do have to somebody else who perhaps will be a better steward than I was when they were 15 or 12 or 20 or whatever it may be. Am I speaking truth to you right now? Amen, brother. That's what you must do. Yeah, vision. Have some vision for your future. Go before the living God and say, God, how should I live? What should I do? Take that inventory of your life. Have other people say to you, how would you grade me? Here's question number 10. So important. How can I defeat temptation? We talked about it before. It's pulling us from many directions. How can I defeat temptation? Someone said, well, you need accountability. Um, stay indoors. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Um, you know, get rid of the Internet. That'll help you with fighting temptation. Um, have, you know, come to the men's meeting every time. That's going to help you fight temptation. Will those things help? Sure. But here's your key word. Let me give you some key verses first. Psalm 27, especially verse 4, beholding the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 34, because it tells us what, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So if I behold God's beauty and I'm tasting the Lord, that's going to help me fight temptation. Because here is your key word, satisfaction. If you want to fight temptation, the key word is satisfaction. Because if, if I'm satisfied in God, I, will, I cannot find satisfaction in the world. If my spiritual palate is being um, satisfied with the things of Christ and who Christ is and looking at His beauty and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, then I won't be satisfied in these things. Just like me, I'm looking through a, a legitimate news story, praying for these people that are in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I see something that's lewd and crude. I'm satisfied in Christ. That's not going to satisfy me. Satisfaction is the key. People go wrong. Sometimes uh, you see books, manuals, even messages that are missing satisfaction. 
You can create a list of all sorts of accountability that you don't have, but until you are satisfied in the living God, that list won't matter. Do you agree with me? Here is question 11. Why is the local church important? Here's your key word, instrument. It's the protector and pillar of truth. This is what Paul said to Timothy. The church is the protector and pillar of truth. Grace Bible Church, Bakersfield, uh, you're important because you protect truth. You're a proclaimer of truth. The world needs truth. Hold fast to the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Here's our twelfth question. Question number twelve. How can I know God's will? How can I know God's will? Here's your key word, delight. Psalm 37 and 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's similar to what I'm saying about satisfaction. If you delight in God, He'll direct you. His good providence will watch over you. My own life, I'm here today not thinking this is where I would be in life. I gave my life to the Lord in college and He redirected my life. And and even then, coming back to Grace Church was a, a redirection in life. And what does the future have? I don't fully know. But one thing I can know is this. What I want to do is to, to delight in God. And if I can delight in Him, then that means that now my heart becomes closer to His heart. And I can discern His will better. Because I'm discerning who He is better. Amen. So here are questions for you to think about, brothers. And I pray that you would think about ways that you can live them out to the glory of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for these words you've given us, your grace and goodness. In Christ's name. Amen.